0: with you don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with gabby done hi i'm gabby Dunn, and this is bad with money Welcome to season nine. Thank you so much for sticking with the podcast for so many years and for all your kind words and reviews. And if you're just joining us, welcome. This season, we're gonna be getting into some very fun topics around money that affect us in our daily lives and that I have some deep dive curiosity in. Fast fashion and Shein, cults that steal your money, goal setting and how to do it, the history of pink washing, using all those credit card points with the points guy. Did you know the points guy is gay? That was the best news I'd heard in like months when I found out. So we have some amazing guests this season. One thing you could do that could really help is to share these episodes with three people in your life who you think could benefit. So just share the Apple link and say, Hey, thinking of you, this was good. I'm trying to get on the charts, people. Also, amazing news. This show is going to twice a week. So we will now be having bonus episodes on Fridays that are a little bit shorter that are going to be mailbags. So email gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. We're going to read reviews. And then also I'm going to talk about stuff that's going on that I am interested in. Anything from a girl on TikTok that I saw who was offered (laughs) free tickets to a music festival by a stranger and went to what's going on with my personal stocks. Anything going on in the news, where you can find abortion funds, or what Lil Nas X is up to, please join us this Friday for our first bonus episode. Okay, so today, we're getting into negotiation. This is a topic you've all begged me to do, and I have had some questions about why it is so important to you all. I've never really been concerned with being likable. Welcome. This has served me at jobs, but also caused me to not do so well in an office environment. I've gotten into conflicts with bosses and coworkers, standing up for myself, advocating for myself, asking for raises, asking for better benefits, and because I presented as a woman at the time, I found myself labeled aggressive or difficult. There are definitely better ways to go about it than I have in the past, and you all seem to be really, really confused about negotiations and really, really scared. So I called in some experts. One is an actual professional who co-hosts the Women at Work podcast and has studied communication and conflict. Amy Gallo, an expert on workplace dynamics, is the author of the HBR Guide to Dealing with Conflict and the forthcoming book, which I love the title of, Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People. The other is my friend Nora McInerney, who is a lovely human, who DM'd me when I asked if anyone wanted to share negotiation stories Thinking maybe there would be some (laughs) useful ones in a positive way, but she had some really embarrassing ones and vulnerably said, I have so many I want to share to help other people not make the same mistakes. Nora hosts the podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, and her tales will probably be relatable to most of you guys. Plus, I love sharing mistakes on this show. I am full of mistakes, money ones, and also otherwise. So how do we negotiate? Gallo recommends more politeness than I've ever used in the past, but be firm. And we go into how to negotiate a raise when you're already working a job and how to negotiate when you're getting hired. Like, why is this so intimidating and scary? Gallo knows more than me, and I think we can all really use her advice. I'm Amy Gallo. I posted that we were going to be talking about negotiations, and the response was through the roof. Why are people so conflict avoidant and how does that manifest at work?
1: Yeah. So we are hardwired for likability as humans, right? We want humans to like us because that's how we've survived. And conflict, in particular negotiation, asking for something that could create some tension with your coworker or with your boss is seen as a threat to Our harmony with our coworkers, it's a threat to our identity, to our value, to our resources, you know, to our sense of self, all of that.
0: The idea is that they won't like you because you asked for something?
1: Yes, and I know that seems strange, but what happens is when we ask for something, it requires the other person to give something. Mm. And often we think of having to give something as giving something up. Right. So, I mean, it's it is a strange perspective, right? Asking my boss for more money. My boss doesn't usually actually have to give something up. Maybe some of their budget, maybe they yeah. have to go have a conversation with HR or with their boss. But we get in our head that if, if we're just easy to get along with, if we're just as likable as possible, everything will go smoothly. And and there's some truth to that. There you do want to think about likability in a negotiation. But we have to get over the idea Asking for things or, you know, showing what our value is is somehow going to destroy this sense of harmony that we so value in the workplace.
0: Who is good at negotiating and who tends to have trouble?
1: Well, there is this huge stereotype that men are good at negotiation and women are not. That is a very unfair fair stereotype and you know it's based on the fact that when you look in the research men do get better outcomes when they negotiate particularly when they negotiate for themselves but that has a lot to do with the people who are on the receiving end of negotiation and how we perceive men and women differently when they advocate for themselves So there's lots of research that shows when men advocate for themselves, particularly around a salary negotiation, there's no impact on whether we want to work with them or not. Both men and women report, yeah, I'd still like to work with that person, right? Whereas a woman, when she negotiates, there is a difference. People tend to be less likely to report wanting to work with that person. Wow which is horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. But if you think about the way it is, it's because we have these stereotypes that women are supposed to care about the collective and they're supposed to be communal and asking for something for yourself violates our expectation. Whereas men are expected to advocate for themselves to be what the, you know what we call agentic in the in the management literature. You know, when so when they do negotiate that ends up aligning with what what we expect them to do.
0: So is this is is this just a misunderstanding? And I talk about this on the show a lot about the environment at work and about the roles of people at work because I feel like there's this thing, obviously, you know, and I'm a victim of that too. Family culture, uh, the work is a family, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be asking for things like. Can you talk a little bit about like how that is uh ruins everything? <laughs> yeah. yeah, ruins people's perceptions of of who owes who what.
1: Yes, I've heard you talk about it before. I completely agree. We come with these really warped ideas about what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do in an organization when we think we're working with our father or our cousin or our siblings. Like it's not the way organizations work, right? But because we think that, we end up thinking I'm my job is to keep things smoothly, is to is to keep the family intact, is to you know is to just sort of get along with everyone, as opposed to what work really is which is an exchange of services for money thank you yeah and we have to see that this is transactional and actually what we should be expecting is that employees should ask for things Mm -hmm. and it's not a
0: betrayal if you if your employee comes and asks for a raise you can't sit there and be like i am hurt that you will but they do that they do that
1: they do that. And I have lots of friends who are managers who, when someone comes and asks for a raise, they do feel like, oh God, you know, and partly it's because they then have to go fight with HR. They have to make the case to the boss. It just creates a lot of work for them. But ultimately, that is their job. Yeah. And then we've got to take the time and make the effort to get what they deserve.
0: So let's walk through like a negotiation. Like, let's say you want to. Ask for a raise. What do you do?
1: So first of all, you got to do a ton of prep. This is one of the biggest mistakes. I think, you know, particularly people starting out in their career, but even people who are really conflict averse, because they hate it so much, they spend a lot of time worrying about it, but not enough time preparing for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So you really have to think about what is it you're asking for? What's the precedent for, for asking for it?
0: We had a guest, Tori
1: Dunlap, talk
0: about writing down all your wins, like all the things Mm -hmm. that you've, for for salary raise negotiation, all the things that you've contributed, all the things that you've managed and done, like having statistics even, like what grew from, right? Like what, what, what do you need to walk in with?
1: Yeah. So I love that advice. And I think that's exactly right. Do as much research as possible to find out how much are people being paid? How much, uh, you know, for, for at that company, if you can, at least in the industry, write down why is it that you're making the request? What is your case? The other thing I would do, and I would be careful about doing this, but it's also write down what could their potential objections be? Oh. Now, that, again, doesn't mean you downgrade the request. It just means you're prepared to answer those tough questions. Because part of what makes us so squeamish or upset in a negotiation is the fact that we feel comfortable saying, I'm worth this, I want this much, I've done all these great things, look at all this value I produced for you. But then when they say, oh, but, and then the challenging question comes, we freak out and we Mm -hmm. freeze. And so we're afraid of that. So if you can think ahead of time of what are the challenging questions going to be and have some answers ready for those, I think that's going to help you also feel much more confident. The last thing I would say you want to walk in with is knowing, for you, what's your baseline? So, like, if you're going in and you're asking for a raise of $10,000, let's hope you get that, right? But what? W- at what point are you going to be like, you know what, this is just not worth it to mm-hmm. me? Or maybe there's not a walk away in that case. You're like, well, that sucks. I didn't get the raise, but I still love my job or mm-hmm. whatever. So know what you're willing, where you're willing to sort of pull the plug at what level of, of request or what you get or not get
0: should you try to ask for more if you're hoping for a $10,000 raise should you go in asking for 15
1: Well, they call that anchoring right so if you go in and say i mean in, in fact i've seen some interesting research you go in and joking gay say i want a $50,000 raise just kidding i only want 10 like you in their head they're like well at least she didn't ask for $50,000 right <laughs> you know i don't recommend doing that but it's called anchoring. You do want to anchor high. Again, you need to know a little bit about who you're negotiating with. So if you have a boss who's always been, you know, had your back, is un- is willing to go to HR and, and make the case for you, you know, you can go in asking for exactly what you want. If you think there's a good chance, you'll get it. If you know there's going to be a lot of back and forth, you might go a little bit higher, and that way you have some room to get down to what you actually want. But remember there's also other things besides the number. It's rare that you're just negotiating for $10,000. You could be asking for more vacation time. You could be asking mm-hmm. to be put on a project that you're really excited about. You could be asking for a reduced workload or the ability to work from home. You know, there's so many other factors, so consider the the entire package of what you're requesting, not just the the figure.
0: How do you make the request for the meeting? Like how do you, you send an email, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it depends on your relationship with your, your boss and how you normally communicate. It can be really helpful to do this right after like a great performance review or some project you knocked out of the park and your boss is like giving you tons of accolades. Like mm-hmm. you can say, oh, th- thank you so much. You know, I've actually been meaning to talk to you mm-hmm. about something. Can I put something on your calendar, right? And, and that gives them a little bit of, Preparation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think you can email them, Slack them, you know, if you're in an office, like you can stop by, whatever is the normal way of, of communicating. For some bosses, again, you know your boss, but if your boss is someone who does not like to be blindsided, be very clear. Like, I want to talk to you about my compensation. It helps to be transparent. Also, it that gives them the chance to sort of do the research especially if this is the first time you've requested a, mm-hmm. a raise at this particular job, you know, they may need to explain what, how the process works, what what the different steps are. And really, the other thing is, you know, we were talking earlier about this is transactional, but you are sort of trying to get your boss on your side. Mm. Usually, in most organizations, it's not your boss's call at the end of the day about whether to give you the raise or not. They have to, like, go talk to finance or HR or their bot right? There's so many other people So this conversation is really about convincing your boss to advocate for you, not getting the money out of your boss.
0: You're talking about, you know, slacking and stuff. Has emailing and texting made conflict at work way worse?
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So much worse. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are just like, can you believe she emailed that? And I think, well... well, actually, I don't even know what that means. Like, what yeah, but, what interpretation do you have of that emoji that you're like, or, you know, I, I mean, I really were reading that much into, like, punctuation.
0: Are. How has this made everything worse?
1: Okay. So th- there's a couple ways. Number one, it's ripe for miscommunication mm-hmm. and misunderstanding, right? You cannot l- convey the same nuance and tone that you convey with your voice and with your face and with my, you know, I'm talking Mm -hmm. with my hands Mm -hmm. right now, right? You cannot convey that same nuance in text. So it's just, and I don't care how many emojis you use and how clear you think they're being, it is just very possible to misinterpret, especially if you're dealing with someone who's not giving you the benefit of the doubt or who you're unwilling to give the benefit of the doubt. We just read so much into it. The second is because of this, phenomenon called the online disinhibition effect which basically is the reason that comment sections on websites are full of monsters because we're willing to type anything out when we don't have to look at someone in the face Mm -hmm. like looking you in the eye requires me to have some empathy because you're a human it's we're just hardwired that way
0: and maybe it's all the same but like all these people that are working from home right like how do you negotiate a raise when you're working from home now
1: yeah. I do think it's harder to do. But, you know, in some ways, what's nice is you get to, you know, press end on the Zoom call, gather your information, do more research, right, and then come back to the next call. I mean, and that's another thing. I think most negotiations, unfortunately, are multiple conversations, finding out more information, doing more research, coming back with a different Argument. But I do think there's some advantages to being virtual. The one thing I will also say is that right now we have a lot of power as employees, right? Mm. The great, I don't know if you've talked about the great resignation on the show, but like people are quitting in droves and it's really hard for employers to find good people right now. So you have Mm. a lot of power and the chances are that you probably worked your tail off for your employer over the last 18 months, as many people did. So this is the time to really like cash in on that value. Employers are thinking about how do I make sure employees know they're valued so they stick around.
0: What if they say I can't afford it?
1: That is always a possibility. But I think you say, okay, I understand the company is not in the best position now. What else do you think the company might have to offer? Or when do you think? the company mm-hmm. might be in a better position. Like, could we mm-hmm. readjust this in two months? If we make mm-hmm. our targets this quarter, can we talk about it next quarter, right? Don't let them off the hook with that. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think that's BS, which it might be, right, yeah. ask questions like, oh, okay, you know, where are we financially? When do we feel like we're going to be out of the hole? When do, you know, just, you really ideally want to work for a place that's really transparent about those numbers, mm-hmm. hopefully, and hopefully you... When you get that answer, you actually believe it. But if you don't, you're allowed to push.
0: Mm -hmm. So people wanted to talk about when they're starting out at a job. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of, you know, how do you handle them going, you give us a number first. No, you give us a number first when you're hired.
1: Yeah. So There's interesting research that shows if you name the number first you're likely to do better in the negotiation. You're likely to get more money, but you're likely to feel more dissatisfied with that number. Whereas if the other party goes first, you're likely to do worse, but you feel more satisfied. And I think that what's at issue there is that you think, when you say it first, you're like, oh, I clearly undersold myself, right? And when they say at first, you are like, oh, I can negotiate up from that.
0: Uh And so it's
1: like this psychological thing. But remember, it's okay to name the number first if you have data and information that that will help. You want to feel confident about that number.
0: Should you say, like, the the standard is 80? You know, like, should you go in and, and say, other people in my position make X, Y, and Z?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you actually know that to be true, yeah. I think you can say, yeah, I think you can say, you, you, from my research, I see that people in my position are being paid X and Y. If it's a big company, they'll, they're likely to have done their own research. They probably have market research. They might even have, like, a compensation consultant who tells them what these jobs should be paid for. You don't want to pretend you know more than them, mm-hmm. but you do want to show you that you've done your, your research it's so much easier if you have other job offers, of course. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you can't always manipulate the timing of that. But if you have a few offers in hand and you can say, you know, I'm, my other offers are actually at a, at a higher salary. Can we talk about that? Is there any wiggle room in, in the salary you've offered? Mm-hmm. That can help your case a lot, too. The one thing I'll say is it's very rare that you will negotiate a salary and they will rescind the offer because you negotiated.
0: People are really worried about that.
1: I can't think of a single person I know who's had – like, do you know anyone who's had that happen to them? No. Yeah.
0: So you can say you have other offers at the beginning. What if you're being scouted and you go and ask for a raise? Should you tell them, like, another
1: company offered me more? This is interesting. (laughs) Now, the risk is that they say, oh, you have another offer? Great. Good luck. Good luck. And that is a significant risk. The other risk is you're going to look disloyal. And now this is not a family, but mm. a lot of companies really do expect loyalty. the The one thing I would suggest is going to your boss at that point and saying, you know, hey, I got I got a call from a headhunter. You know, I love this job. I want to stick around, but I have to say the salary range they gave me was pretty enticing. Uh-huh. I don't want to leave, but can we can we talk about my salary here? Just now that I know what's out there, I just want to make sure I'm being paid fairly. Mm-hmm. That shows you're loyal to the company. Mm-hmm. You want to stay, but you've gotten some new information.
0: There were a lot of people who were just like, um, "I will start crying." Yes, <laughs> which is <Okay>. so sad.
1: <laughs> it's so sad. I know that stressful situations make a lot of people cry, and that's understandable. Do not beat yourself up about it. It happens. That said, you probably don't want to cry in this conversation if you can avoid it.
0: Yeah. How do you stay calm? How do you stay neutral?
1: Yeah. I think one thing, one trick I've heard people use that I think works pretty well is to try to normalize the conversation. So this is a conversation that happens all the time. People go in. They ask for raises. The boss usually says no. I have to advocate for myself. right? Like this is a normal thing. The other thing in that moment, imagine you're actually – Advocating for someone named Gabby. Not yourself, but you're actually advocating for someone named Gabby. And you love Gabby, right? Gabby is this person you completely respect. You think they deserve so much. Mm -hmm. And that helps when you're preparing too. Because some for some of us, it's hard to like list all our accomplishments. We're like, well, I didn't do that without my team, and blah blah. You know, like we really discount that stuff. And along the same lines, part of the reason we get so emotional is that this feels valuable. It's so weird. We assign a number that means, like, this is how valuable you are to us. It's just gross. I don't like it. And yet it's how we all do it. And so give yourself a little pep talk. I'm a valuable person. This number is arbitrary. It is based on so many things. It's based on bias. It's based on discrimination. It's based on completely arbitrary things that happened in the 1920s. Like, it's just an arbitrary number. Don't let it mean that you are a good person or a bad person. It doesn't mean anything about me as a person.
0: I love that. I have so many more questions about your book that's coming up about working with difficult people, Um, but that'll have to be a whole other episode.
1: Yes. When the book comes out, I'd be happy to come back.
0: Tell my audience what it's called.
1: It's called Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People.
0: I mean, iconic. (laughs) So where can people find out more about you and
1: follow you? I have hundreds of articles at hbr.org. You can hear our podcast, the Woman at Work podcast, anywhere you have listened to podcasts. And if you want to contact me directly, you can go to my website, which is amiegallo.com.
0: going to hear from author, swifty, and love of my life, Nora McNerney, who has an extensive list of what to avoid. Plus, let's get in some tea about my jobs and horrible BuzzFeed contracts and upcoming work. The BuzzFeed tea is, is piping hot, you guys. Nora and I love to talk and we probably say too much.
2: I'm Nora mcNerney I'm a Gabby Dunn super fan. <laughs> and I am also... I'm a podcaster. I am a writer. So what, mm. what did you message me? What happened? I said I might go down in history as one of the worst negotiators of all time <laughs> because throughout my career, I have been in this Taylor Swift 2007 mentality. You know when She used to get VMAs and, and Emmys and she'd stand up there and be uh, like, oh my God, me? Yeah, totally. Like, shock, that was me anytime I was offered any kind of job. Mm -hmm. Didn't even matter if it was a job I wanted. Didn't even matter if it was a job that I was overqualified for, underqualified for. I was like, oh my God, me? Sure. Yes. Whatever you think. My mentality for negotiation has been, I don't want to be rude. Yeah. And I don't want to lose the opportunity by asking literally any questions at all.
0: (laughs) So what was the first example of this?
2: The first example was the first time I went in for a job interview. (laughs)
0: When you were like in your early 20s? In my
2: early 20s, the first real sort of like salaried job that I ever got. It was a job for an advertising agency. However, when I went to the agency, there was no information on their website. And I thought, "Mm, interesting, mysterious. Went through an entire interview, still not knowing what the job was Mm -hmm. or what I was going to be doing. And then accepted the offer because it sounded like so much money, Gabby. They were going to pay me to live in New York City $28,000 a year. Yeah. And I saw that as like a lump sum.
0: <laughs> yeah. hmm.
2: I saw it as like, wow, I have currently to my name $28,000. And then I later found out from talking with my peers at the agency that I was not meant to have accepted the first offer Mm -hmm. and that they were all being paid significantly more for doing the same job because they had simply asked for it.
0: Right. So I went into… My first job, similarly, where I I barely read the paperwork. I had no, I, I didn't even ask about 401ks. I just was like, please, I was like, maybe if I sign fast enough, they won't take it away. Yes. I was like yes. very nervous about keeping a job. And that was actually kind of worked in my favor in some ways because I did these jobs, which by the way, I was not being paid enough to do. And by the time I got to BuzzFeed, I was like 25. Five or 24. Yeah, 25. So everyone else at BuzzFeed was 22. So, like, mm-hmm. they had just started and they were like, the, like you, not asking for anything, didn't yep. want to know about benefits, were very scared to ask for raises. By the time I got to BuzzFeed, I'd been fired like four times. I was like, so the vibe was so different where like my colleagues were younger than me and so they were very scared and I felt like a jaded older, like elder statesman where I was just like, ask for whatever you want. What are they going to do? Fire me? Join the club.
2: I've never been fired yet and I think I always live in fear that I am like two minutes away from not having a job, even though I am self-employed.
0: Of course. The woman that I spoke to before you, she's like, they hardly ever rescind the offer. She's like, I don't – I've heard it happening. I don't know anyone that's happened to. And she was like, do you know anyone that's happened to? And I said, no. Do you know anyone that's happened to?
2: No. That's shocking to know. And to be asked that question and realize I've never heard of that happening and yet I am always sure it will be me. Right. And, you know, I started my career working in ad agencies, working in marketing agencies. I now have done quite a big shift and I'm self-employed. You Mm -hmm. would think that I might have gotten better at it. Mm -hmm. No.
0: So for your next
2: jobs, what did you do? I did all the same things. Okay, whatever was offered, I said, that sounds great. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much.
0: Oh my God, thank you for thinking of me. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you so, so, so much. I will make a lateral move. I will later, once forced to do math, I will realize it actually cost me money. Mm -hmm. No big deal, whatever. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And what was missing from all of these conversations, besides just like general self-worth, is context. And like you cannot be afraid. And I have been. Up until like truly maybe the past nine months to ask a lot of questions, to ask, well, what happens in this scenario? What Mm -hmm. happens if it doesn't work out between us? Then who takes what? I'm uncomfortable asking somebody who is going to pay me up front to Mm -hmm. write a book. Okay. Is this the standard amount that Mm that you give an author or could I get more? I mm-hmm. always say yes to the first one. <laughs> I mm-hmm. always do. If you work in an, in a creative field, if you work in an independent field, the only way that you will know what you are worth, what you should be asking for, is by asking people or knowing people mm-hmm. in that industry. And that is not a thing that first-timers have access to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and part of this is I went into almost all of my negotiations as an independent contractor, as a person who is self-employed, you're always an independent contractor. You're not a real employee. I did those myself. And I I remember sending Davis a contract after I'd already signed it and them being like, "Um, why didn't you send this to me before? And it was because I was so ashamed to say I didn't have like $200. And they're like, you could have paid me later, you know, and I don't want to be, nobody wants to be the person who's begging other people for their expertise. If you are not going to read your contract and there's something about legal language and numbers that makes my brain just melt, yep. you do need a person who will do it for you. Yep. Shout out to davismeansbusiness.com for all of your non-binary legal business needs in Minneapolis.
0: I love <laughs> Davis Means Business. Oh, I'm in a contract now that's real bad. Yeah, Uh, You want to talk Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun situation happening over here. (laughs) But it's fine because I'm in my reputation era, baby. (laughs) I will burn a bridge. (laughs) I bury hatchets, but I keep maps of where I put them. Where I
2: put them, okay? I am entering into a reputation era myself. Uh, (laughs) It is astonishing.
0: Yeah, I mean... So, okay. So, you were talking to me about negotiating with your podcast initially. Yeah, I didn't. What? Yeah. So, like, what? So, yeah. you didn't negotiate and they owned a lot of the property?
2: Yeah. So, the podcast that I started, mm-hmm. I did not read a one sheet agreement. I just didn't read it. I did not read it carefully. Yeah. And so, what I realize now is that that sheet signed over a name that I had come up with and mm-hmm. a concept that I had come up with. Mm-hmm. And so to realize that, to send that to my lawyer slash friend and have them be like, what? It's yeah. really, it's really shocking. And this is, by the way, it's not an unusual agreement. It's not no, an unusual agreement. Not at and all. truly, even if I had known, even if I had known, I don't know that I would have pushed back on it because my sense of worth was so low, and yeah. I thought, well, I mean, who knows if this will work? Who knows? You know, there's yeah. there's a million people who have made podcasts before who are much smarter than me. Like, I think it's fine because I felt like so many people who are not cis white men that mm-hmm. I have to prove my worth before I can ask for anything.
0: I have such an inflated sense of my worth. <laughs> like,
2: God, I'm good like- for you. <laughs> oh.
0: I, well, because here's the thing is that I equate it with time, Right oh, I got an offer from a podcast company for this thing I'm working on. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I, my initial thought was, this is so much work for so Mm -hmm. little money. Like, I'm going to be spending so much time on this and I will not be making enough money for that. And I, and this is, you want to talk about cis straight white men. And I, the person I'm working on it with is that. And I was like, I spent like a week being like, you know what, Gabby? You are ungrateful. You should be so, you should, you should think about how lucky it is that as an artist, you get to work at all. You should think about how amazing it is that someone pays you for your words and your ideas. That's the dream you've had since you were six years old. Like I spent two weeks like zenning myself up and then I get a call from him and he just goes, we're not taking this deal. Because this is like a person who ha- – it's like a cis straight white man who's worked in the industry since he was a teenager, and yeah. he was like, God. no.
2: And we all we all need that energy. As my friend Sarah Haggy said, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. I'm not saying that your friend is mediocre, but just yeah. that is the energy that we all need to have. And at the time when I was starting the podcast, I had signed my first book deal. I had also lost my job after my husband mm-hmm. died. I left, but – not really. They were like, don't yeah. you want to leave? And I was like, I guess I wanna leave. Yeah, I mean I can't work.
0: What? They were like, your husband just died of cancer. Would you like to leave your job?
2: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going in, to be fair.
0: I wasn't doing <laughs> Who would? the job. I know.
2: I know. It's like give you a all... second to breathe. Give me a second to breathe is right. And I also, again. No negotiator was like, okay, I will leave, I will go. I am so sorry. Right. To have inconvenienced all of you. I I probably got some sad on you. I apologize. So <gasps> any amount of money to me was I was like, great, I will take it. Yeah. I will take it. That's
0: the thing. And there are times yeah. where it's like, I really had to. Like I really had yeah. to. And that's the scam. That's the scam. Lacey Mosley on Scam Goddess talks about the despo meter. <laughs> and the despo meter. Is And this is how they jobs take advantage of you. When you go in to negotiate, the meter is how desperate you are. And so like mm. if this is your one job interview, they know that. Like they can know like, okay, so you're not going to negotiate because you're desperate. Yeah. And I think a
2: lot of times the systems or like the contracts or whatever's in place, if you push back on it and ask a question, the answer is like, oh, I don't know. It's just like that. Yeah. And and it's that easy. It's – you know, I truly believe that the person who sent me that that contract, I don't even know if he read it. Yeah. And the result is like all of this tangled mess yeah. that, that makes everybody feel crappy. Yeah. It just makes everybody feel crappy. And I, for my own personal responsibility, I could have taken a beat, asked some questions and played it out. And what it really comes down to on my side is like I – have zero faith in myself. That, no, <laughs> like, for I was sure. Like, I better take this. I better take this now. Yeah. I better take whatever I can get and get it now. I better make hay while the sun is like peeking out through these storm clouds. Yeah, for sure. And it makes me sad about myself, but I love to be the hype person for anyone else.
0: But it's not about you because it, it's about these other places that feel okay offering that. Oh, I let me. Yeah. Want to spill some Buzzfeed tea? Allison yeah. and I started at Buzzfeed. <laughs> they gave us the contract, which was horrible. It was like we own your whole face. It was like the Scientology contract. Yeah. It was like a billion years yes. and uh, and yeah. <laughs> and you're Zenu now. And we were like, okay. And any thought you've had, if you have a thought near work,
2: we own the street outside of work. And we heard your thought, and now it's ours.
0: Like a hundred percent. So Allison's father is a, an attorney. So Allison's father went through the contract. And marked everything and was like, this, this, mm. and this, here's the thing. And then, so then we went back to BuzzFeed and we were like, our lawyer, lo- our lawyer, look this over and uh,
2: our, da- our lawyer,
0: and <laughs> and here are some red flags and we'd like to negotiate these. And BuzzFeed went, mm, no, this is a standard contract. Like you either sign it or, or, or you walk away from this job. And we were mm. in our mid twenties. So we were like, okay. Yeah. And we signed it. Literally, they were like, yeah made us seem nuts. Like, they were like, this is standard. Like, this is like everyone else here has signed this. Like, Gaslight. Like, you guys are crazy to like have a lawyer look at this. Like, everyone else that works here has signed this exact same contract. So like, what makes you special? And we were like, okay.
2: Sounds good. Yeah. I think it's hard to, to resist at that point because it's coming from, it's not coming from an institution, right? It's coming from a person, a person you will work with every day, a person you will see, a person who's then comparing you and saying, okay, but like, look at all these other people. That contract was fine for them.
0: Which we should have said, hey guys, was that contract mm-hmm. fine for you? But we were like, oh, we're in the wrong. And that's the scam. And I know that having
2: been a manager in corporate America, you know, you're definitely supposed to sort of discourage people from telling each other what they make. And I think it is one of the most powerful things that you can do is tell people like the truth about your, your finances. I want people who, you know, work with me to know like I'm paying you this and I'm getting this. Yeah. They deserve that.
0: Are you getting better? Uh, Are you entering your reputation I'm getting, era? I'm
2: getting better. I am I am entering my reputation era. I am not afraid to be like, oh, that's okay if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Like, that's okay if it doesn't work out. And every time, by the way, where I've asked for more time or I've asked questions or I've just said, I'm not going to do that. I did that actually recently with a brand deal. Hmm. Oh, yeah, there's a line in the contract that said, and then the company can take whatever you make and, you know, promote it.
0: Repost it everywhere.
2: Right. No, 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 no. No, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want, no, no, thanks. And guess what? They're like, oh, okay, we'll take that off. Yeah. I feel like creative people are at somewhat of a disadvantage because if you go to business school or if you take business mm-hmm. courses, like they talk to you about this.
0: Yeah. I'm like labeled difficult sometimes for asking to be paid yeah. money. I'm overdue to be paid.
2: Yeah. Right. We're
0: saying I'm not going to work
2: until I am paid. I oh, won't finish I've this until I'm paid oh, for the work I've done I did. It.
0: They yeah. don't like it. I have to sometimes in my mind go, no, you're right. You are right. You're right. Because it's like this culture of like, the email has to be like, Hi, so sorry to bother you. Um, you owe me ten thousand dollars that you haven't paid me for like a year. But like, how are you? Like, hope you know everything's going really well. Um, you seem to be um a million dollar company, and um, I'm just was like curious if I could expect no,
2: no, 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 no. Before you start anywhere, look up the company. If it's a nonprofit, you can look up. Their revenue, you can look up their 990s, you can see what everybody else is paid. Mm-hmm. They'll have to publish that, their top earners. If it is a bigger company, you'll see how much investment money they have. And I think good questions to ask are how do you measure success? Mm-hmm. How do you know when a project is profitable? Mm-hmm. And then what is the opportunity for me to share in that profit? Mm-hmm. Like, those are very important questions to ask. I wanted to tell you these stories because I am so embarrassed by them, Gabby. I'm so ashamed of them. There's such a difference between perception Mm -hmm. and reality.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you?
2: My internet name, because I am from a different era.
0: Yeah. From an era.
2: You are a little bit, right? Gabby Road is like a little. I
0: didn't get Gabby done because I got Gabby Road because that was like an AOL screen Mm -hmm. name. Yes, yes,
2: yes. And you felt good when you locked it down. Like I felt good when I locked down Nora Borealis. But now people do think Mm -hmm. that's my last name. It is a play on the Aurora Borealis. It is my handle on Instagram. I, like Gabby, quit Twitter and Nora Borealis is also my website. And that's where you can find like my books and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Amazing.
0: The podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. It's a really good podcast. Way to break the taboo of asking for more and knowing what you're worth is to share your process and the wins and losses you've had along the way. When you are negotiating, go right into your reputation era.